Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you have any interest in buying optics or have any glassing questions, whether it be tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. Guys, right now at GoHunt.com Insider, you can take advantage of the free trial. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. You're going to be able to take advantage of a free trial of the Insider. GoHunt is always adding more value for their Insider members. They've now added real 3D maps as a part of Insider for no additional cost. What an incredible value. Very soon, they're going to have their mobile app up as well. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and sign up for a free trial. If you're already an Insider member, it's automatically part of your Insider membership. And you can just go to the Maps tab up at the top once you sign in as an Insider. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more, you can go to KUIU.com, Kuyu.com. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They sell everything off of the Kuyu.com website. I also do a lot of question and answer on my Instagram where I'm answering questions about guys wanting to know about gear about Kuyu, so tune into my Instagram. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Again, thanks to all the sponsors of my podcast. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I've got my friend Greg Krogh of Mogion Rim Outfitters. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jay. How you doing? Good. I know you were in Mexico and I just got back from Mexico and it's always fun going down there, but we've got a deadline here for the Arizona elk and antelope applications coming up here uh, the second Tuesday or the first Tuesday in February. I believe it's the 9th is the deadline. Uh, we just had a big storm. Um, we were in very dire need of, of moisture and very dry, but we just had a big storm. Curious your thoughts um, and how they've possibly changed over the last, say, seven days with this storm and your outlook for Arizona coming up for elk. You know, I, I'm in the center part of the state, you know, where I live at about f- just under 5,000 feet. Um, so I, I can't speak for like what they got up in Flagstaff, but I know that we were extremely dry. We had some pretty good moisture in December at right where I live, but that was it. And it was as dry as I can remember. Feed was in about as bad a shape as I can remember, but we got, <clears throat> I don't know other parts of the state, but I know we got absolutely pounded on this last storm. We had probably an inch and a half of rain in the first three or four days. And then the snow came and after having an inch and a half of rain, we had, I think I measured uh, 10 inches one day of snow. Most of that melted. And then the next day I got 16 inches of snow um, at my house. And then I still have seven or eight inches on the ground at my place. You know, you know, four days. It's supposed to rain again today. So I think that <clears throat> moisture is super timely. The only thing that I'm still worried about a little bit is 
and you and I have talked about this the past, like in Nevada, I've always said spring's more important, you know, than anything because a mild winter means the elk come out in good shape or the deer come out in good shape, you know, and then they go into their antler growth healthy. Even if we have a great spring right now, and this is just my opinion, um, there's no doubt these elk are going into it unhealthy. Does that make sense? More so than other years because it's been a really dry fall even, you know. So I think this all this moisture helps. I still think it's going to be at least an average year if we keep if it keeps up, but I don't think it's going to be one of those. No matter what happens from here forward, I don't think it's going to be some banner year. What do you, what do you think? Well, one of the things that, you know, with the feed conditions that I was hearing about in 9 and 10 specifically and, you know, across some of those central Arizona units with very, very little feed going into winter, one of the things that I was thinking about this big storm, because, you know, there's places people have reported to me and flagged that, you know, people have gotten between 30 and 45 inches of snow. One thing I was potentially thinking about is body condition going into uh, this time frame, and then you throw on a big, huge storm. I don't, you know, I worry that the elk's body condition might be fairly poor going into it. Then you throw a bunch of snow on top of it. It could actually make things, you know, pretty rough. I, I am definitely thinking about how their body condition and from what a, a handful of people have told me is that their body condition was not good. So part of me worries a little bit about this actually could could cause a lot of stress on them. On the other hand, I'm thinking <clears throat> any moisture we get is is fantastic considering how dry we were. And I don't think anybody really knows until we see this, you know, the, the, the set of antlers they get grown next year and just see what their body condition's like. But I, I do think, um, you know, we're looking at average where before I don't think we even had a chance to get up to average antler growth with the conditions that we had and how dry it was. But certainly a big storm like this and then another storm predicting coming in tonight and, you know, 80, 90 percent chance of precip across the whole state tomorrow, um, it, it makes a huge difference. Something you said there that, you know, I think is hugely important is you had the first couple of days of the storm and you said there was an inch to an inch and a half of rain. Then it laid down snow on top of that and it melted. Then it laid down, you know, a, a, a 10 inches to a foot of snow that's still on the ground. That just allows that moisture from the, from the rain to just sit underneath that snow and soak into the ground. So I think that's a great sign. Yeah, I, I think regardless of what it does to antler growth, um, short of killing animals, even if it's not as good for the, I, we needed this so bad because if we don't get this spring and they come in this poor and then they go, it's just, it's just going to be really bad. And right. I think right now with this kind of moisture we're having and, uh, you know, obviously it needs to continue, but if you look at the forecast, it's showing more and more and more, you know, in the next 10 days, you know, up here we keep seeing, you know, seven or eight different days with chances of rain. So if it keeps going, I think it's going to be good. We're going to have a nice wet spring and I don't see how that's possibly bad but I do agree with you, and I was kind of trying to say the same thing when you were talking about them going in. If they're going into the antler growth period poor, I didn't mean the snow, but just period going into the antler growth period in poor shape. It, then in the beginning, when all that feed comes up in you know March, April, May, all that good feed, their body, in my opinion, all that feed is going into their body before it goes into their antlers. Yeah, Because their sure. body's in that shape. That's one of the things that a mild winter does where – you know, they can get by and they're not really, you know, working very hard for feed. And then all of a sudden you get those late spring, you know, February, March, get those storms 
where then their body condition is good and they can immediately pour it in, into their antlers. Um, I think that's exactly what you're trying to point out is that, you know, they may take a while to get their bodies up to prime condition before they can start pouring it into their antlers. Um, have you got any indication from these storms in Nevada? Um, did Nevada get dumped as well and get some pretty good moisture? I don't think they got as much as this work, not in the areas that I hunt, but they did get moisture. So, um, and I don't think Nevada is <clears throat> as like, you know, where I hunt in Nevada and that lower stuff, I mean, a lot of that stuff's desert. So it's, you're not, you're not, most of those deer are not in that country where all that snow is hitting right now, you know? So it, I think it's more important to have just the more, the better, you know, down in that desert. So, but they definitely did not get as much as we did here, but they did get some, I know parts of Nevada up, you know, over the Sierra, they're getting pounded, you know? Yeah. But, I saw on the news last night, they were predicting a hundred inches of snow. In yeah. And see, now Ajo you're getting into Mammoth. where it's, yeah, now it's getting in the negative when it's that type of cold and snow that I think that hurts. Um, Talking like where about, I'm at, I'm more in the central, eastern, and southern part of the state. I'm hunting mostly desert, you know, high desert. So it's not nearly as um, detrimental if there's a big snowstorm. That Does that make sense? For sure. <clears throat> um, looking at the Arizona elk applications, uh, we've got the early seasons. We've got, you know, the archery seasons. We've got the early firearms, whether it be muzzleloader or uh, rifle. And then we've got the late elk seasons. Um, you have guided here in Arizona, I want to say 25 years, you could probably correct me, but a, a long, long time. Um, what are some of the units that you are looking at for the archery hunts? Um, and let's talk about some of those. You know, <clears throat> right now I, I have different groups of guys applying and, you know, with different mindsets, some guys want to go for, you know, the all or nothing type units. And some guys want to go hunting every eight eight years you know or eight to ten years on archery so i i, I kind of mix it up um for the, in the premium type units and that's one thing i want to touch on too i didn't even when you start talking about that like the premium one thing that's going to help this year more than anything the one silver lining is last year because it was such a weird rut if you remember a lot of bulls made it you know yeah. the carryover i think is going to be it just seemed like a lot of the hunts a lot of the bigger bulls made it and there's going to be a lot of carryover this year, more so than normal. So I'm hoping that offsets some of the moisture issues. You know, there's going to be a little bit older bulls making it this year. At least that's my hope. And um, so I, I really like, um, I had a lot of people putting in for nine this year and 10. Um, we hunted nine last year on the early hunt and the archery hunt. And we ended up killing two big bulls, but it was, it was, I mean, you, I think, I'm sure you knew a lot of people up there in nine last year. It was a tough, tough hunt and a lot of bulls made it. So I'm thinking this year there's going to be a lot of age class carryover. So I'm that that's going to help. Um, even if antler growth isn't at the top, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be older age class bulls. I'm hoping, um, I like 23 late. Um, and, uh, is where I, you know, that's what I would consider the premium ones, but shoot, those are taking 19 points now to draw, which is, unbelievable i never thought i'd see the day there'd be general late hunts that were taking 19 points yeah i know it, it's it's kind of getting a little crazy for <clears> sure um so you talk about nine and ten as as our archery hunts that you like and and then you talk about 23 late hunt i know you also do some hunts in in some of the more opportunity units like 6a um what are your, uh -huh. what are your thoughts on that unit you know i think they're good units for people that are trying to you know it's 
I tell guys, if you're trying to shoot bulls and you have lots of opportunity, you know, but then you have to deal with things like people because it's got higher numbers of people, but you're hunting bulls in the 300 to 320 class typically. And, but you can draw them sooner, you know, and units like 5B, you know, we, we did 5B South and, and those types of units also, those also are, are very similar. You know, if you don't want to wait 20 years, you can put in for those. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking. You just can't have the same expectations as a 9 or a 10 when you do it. Sure, I'm looking at, like you mentioned, uh, 5B South. I'm looking at the Go Hunt Insider, and for a non-resident, you know, 13 points, uh, you can be guaranteed a 5B South tag uh, and a 6A uh, hunt with uh, 9 points, you can be guaranteed a tag, whereas you look at some of the, you know, 9 and 10s, and you're up there in that, you know, it looks like, uh, let's see here, uh, unit nine, you're looking at 23 points for a unit nine tag. So what you're saying is you either have to come up with a strategy where you're in that eight to 12, 13 point range, or you're in that 23 to 26 point range <coughs> where, you know, you're, 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 you're able to hunt two times uh, or possibly three times uh, for the same amount of wait time as a nine or ten tag. Right. Um, and I think the six A ones miss. I, I I should call those. I, I need to call those guys and go out and see if they they would know the answer to this. But I know that due to COVID and some others, we had. I know that last year in six A, I know multiple people that had higher points that drew and turned their tags in. I think that's why it went down to nine. Yeah, that's... because they reissued tags. Does that make sense? But I don't know if that's how it would work if that would show up in that stat. But um, we had some guys that drew a group of three that all turned them in because they got COVID right before the hunt, and then they reissued them. So I don't know if that makes a difference in that stat or not. Yeah, because normally six sure. A is a ten point unit on normal years. I'm not saying it couldn't drop, but yeah, sure. Um, you guys last year on the late hunts, you really liked the late hunts. Talk a little bit about you know, your history with Arizona late elk hunting and your, the success that you guys have had, um, on those late hunts. I just, I really like them cause I, you know, I really enjoy glassing and I, I enjoy, you know, everything about the late hunts. They're very rugged so you can get away from people. Um, if you get the right clients that are in good shape, that can get around. I historically, I would say we've almost, I, I you know, I joked around about it with, uh, Jeff yesterday and called him and I'm like because we have a client that can either draw an early hunt or he can draw that late hunt in 23 and and we were trying to decide and I, I told the guy for the unit he was talking about doing the late hunt in I mean the early hunt I convinced him in my mind that that I would rather have him be in that late hunt in 23 and I thought man maybe I'm not thinking this clearly and so I called up a couple of my guides and asked them and said, which tag would you rather have if you were going to guide a guy? Would you rather have this tag or this tag to kill a bull of this size? And ironically, both of them agreed, too. They liked that late. We really like that late hunt. You can look at a lot of elk. Um, you, you're not relying on – I mean, there are some, you know, detriments as far as you have broken antlers and stuff like that you have to deal with. But you don't have to rely on the rut. You don't have to rely on that type of stuff to find big bulls, you know, and – for example, nine last year, you know, man, when they weren't calling, I was up there with Randy Elmer and, uh, and his brothers and nephews and cousins. I mean, we had a lot of guys up there looking and man, they were on some really big bulls. And all of a sudden when they quit calling, I mean, it's like 
when the switch goes off and they're not in glassable country, it doesn't matter how big they are. If they're not talking, it's like a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And there, I'm not saying there aren't parts you can glass, but the specific big bulls that they had found preseason that we were hunting with my client, you know, it, it was crazy when that, when that quits calling it, it. And then seven days goes by in a hurry. You spend a couple of days when they're not calling in the thick stuff and pretty soon you're running out of time. And we got lucky and found a really big bull in some glassable stuff and we were able to kill it. But you don't run into that on the late hunt. You know, those are the things I like about the late hunt is you're, you're always going to be able to glass, you know, in case it's really bad weather, but even that's going to be one day, you know, you're not typically going to have a week of bad weather in Arizona. So I just really like those late hunts because you can glass them and, and uh, you can find them. You can weed through a lot of bulls. And if you're in a good area, you can do well. And I've just always really liked doing those for, we've been doing those late hunts for, God, I, I only, I mean, at least 36 years now we've been doing the late hunts and I just love them. I mean, I just, they're probably my favorite hunt of the year other than they're really, the, as I get older, I like them less as far as the packing because those bigger <laughs> bulls in the rough country, but, um, that's where uh that's where all the young guys come in yeah for not, sure. not so much jeff jeff hates it but like for some reason matt kelly seems to enjoy it i can't figure that out he, enjoy he makes the me pain. feel so old what's that he enjoys the pain i don't know it's like either that or he just thinks i'm so old he feels sorry for you but like <laughs> the last couple times he i feel like i have nothing when we pack he always fills his pack and tries to politically be correct like he's doesn't notice i don't have any that he's not putting any in mine you know, <laughs> so, you know and he's not that big a guy he's just tough <laughs> I'm looking at the point totals here on Go Hunt, and I can't believe it, but that 23 late hunt takes 19 points as a non-resident to be guaranteed a tag, and uh, 18 points, you have a 50% chance to draw. It's it's kind of crazy to think that the point totals have, you know, crept that much, if you will, to get a late season tag. It's it's mind-blowing. It is. I mean, that was... It wasn't even six, seven years ago when that was an 11 point. I was going to say, it seemed like it was just 11, you know, 10, 11, 12 point draw. And now it's a 19. Yeah. It's uh, for non-resident, it's getting pretty tough. And, and, uh, are there any sure. units other than 23 for the late hunt that you do like, or do you pretty much stick with the 23 late? That's the only late hunt I've done for so long. Um, it's just the one we do. I've always done it. I used to do 22 which would be a really, you know, an easy, uh, like a hunter opportunity unit, you know, and I, or I think it only takes five or six points, you know, or something like that for a non-resident. And I used to do that a lot. Um, and I think that's a good unit for somebody that's just wanting to go late season elk hunting and get the experience of late season elk hunting. But I the don't quality's do it gone way down, right? Yeah. The, it's not what it used to be. It used to be on par with 23 years ago, but it's, they've just, you know, that was one of the units that was designated as hunter opportunity where they really increased tags. Um, I can remember hunting that unit when there was 50 total tags in it on the late hunt. And now there's two hunts with, I, I don't even know. I want to say, I'm guessing it's like eight or 900 or something like that. Yeah. The tag numbers have really come up. Plus they have several different hunts in 22. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's just lots of pressure and um, the quality, the numbers of elk have just gone way, way down. Um, but it's still something that like, you know, a lot of people got upset about that and, and I, and don't get me wrong, I think you need to have units where it's trophy club, but that was a unit that, <clears throat> that was one of those things, and I, I'm guessing that was the Game and Fish's point, was to get more people out hunting, you know, and opportunities, and that was something that I was able to take my kids in that unit multiple times, you know, and I think in four years, one of my daughters drew it three times, and the other daughter, I think, drew it twice, um, so that was the neat part about it, you know, for kids and stuff that want to go late season elk hunting, that was a neat, you know, we weren't killing giant bulls. I think the biggest one we killed was 320, 
but most of them were like five by fives, you know, just bowls. Sure. But it was fun to do with kids. And I, so I do, I do, I don't want to make sound like before I was, I wasn't bad mouthing the hunter. I think we need that in some units, just not all of them, you know. And that was, that was kind of the one that the way I see it is they, they just decided to kind of almost sacrifice that unit for quality for, 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 uh, for quantity, which has its positives. You know, I've got to do a lot of kid hunts and junior hunts and, you know, people that just want to go elk hunting. It's kind of fun. For sure. Um, I want to jump off topic here for just a second. Uh, usually in kind of mid-February, early February, we do the Nevada um, non-resident mule deer uh, draw, uh, you know, with the in the outfitter pool. We might as well cover it now um, for those people wanting to apply talk a little bit about uh the the special guide draw that's coming up and how people if they want to apply with you i know i've been doing it for several years now um how they need to do that what they need to do to get the form and and that whole thing yeah so that draw is going to open they're pretty i got an email the other day saying it's going to be around i think they're planning on opening up the draw on february 8th um which is a little bit earlier than normal and i believe it it's somewhere around the 9th or 10th of March is going to be the deadline. I don't have it right here in front of me, but it's about, it'll be open for about a month starting February 8th. Um, if people want to get involved in that, what the guide draw is, is they set aside a certain number of tags in Nevada and allocate them to just the outfitters. So we're only competing with other outfitters for these tags. Tags are still very difficult to draw, but they are easier to draw in the units I had. I went and looked it up the other day. In the units that I hunt, they're all easier in the guide draw than they are in the regular draw still. Um, so all you have to do is contact me. And then what I do is I would uh, put you on an email reminder list and then I'll send it out to you with the instructions and you go to directly to my, uh, you log in and I give you the, all the stuff you need to do and the units to pick and you can apply. And then you're only competing against other people that are going on outfitted trips with other outfitters. Right. So you have a better percentage chance of drawing than if you're putting in the general season, as well as um, you kind of have a um, it, it, it's in essence, you're going into the pool using your outfitter number. And so the, all the people that apply with you are going to be have a guided contract with you that they are, you know, in your outfitter um, yes. camp, if you will. And that that's another huge in. advantage. Right. Is, yeah, because. You know, we we usually book up really quick every year. So if when when you do the regular draw, you know I you know most people that call were are we're, we're booked by the time the regular draw when the regular comes after the first hour or two, the, whatever spots we didn't do on the original hunts, there's no way we can guarantee you can take you if we tell you to put in for these units. But on the guide draw, if you put in with us, there's you're guaranteed to get a spot. You know, um, so if you put in with us on the guide draw and you draw, we are going to take you. Right, and Whereas if you put it on the regular draw, it's we don't know. It depends on, you know, on uh, the number of people that drew and all that, and how much availability is. But on the guide draw, um, we, we're very careful to put into where there's no way we can overdraw it. And then you also have a bunch of different units to choose from, and kind of a hunt strategy. You kind of have a swing for the fences strategy. You kind of have a kind of middle of the road, but still harvesting great bucks strategy, and it gives guys an opportunity to. Um, you know, let you know where they want to be. And then, you know, as far as what kind of bucks they're looking for and what kind of opportunity with the late hunts, the early hunts, and then you kind of have the five best choices and you say, this is what we're going to do. Right. And, and then you, you kind yeah. of get, if they want to, 
you know, they're, they're okay sacrificing maybe a little bit of a higher end quality for just maybe a better chance of getting drawn. And then you kind of have it outlined, uh, and right. And none of the units are poor that we're putting in for. It's just, if you, there's the swing for the fence, the guys that have 20 something points and they only want to hit those top units and they want to keep holding out. And those are like sheep odds, some of those. And then there's, you know, we, we give a couple different draw strategies for everybody. We explain to it the types of bucks that we killed the year before. And each one of those, you kind of have an idea going into it. Um, we'll tell you what we killed the year before in those units. And then also, um, you know, what, what a realistic it's been in the past over, you know, historically, like for example, this past year was by far the best year we've ever had. So if I posted all the pictures of that, it'd be very misleading because that's not a, it, we're not going to have, we're not going to have every year like we had last year, you know, and some of those units came off looking better than they probably are just because we had a really good year in them. So we'll, we'll still tell you what we got last year in it. So you know what the high end potential is, but then we'll also tell you when you talk to us about what's realistic to expect in those. So, you know, you're not going in there thinking that, you know, for example, the, the easiest draw unit a couple of years, two years ago, we shot like a 217 buck out of on um, the easiest to draw tag there was. Well, obviously we didn't, we don't sell it as a 217 buck, hunt. you know, we sell it as a 170 to 190 type hunt, you know, and, and but that doesn't and mean so, you're not going to try and kill the biggest bucks you can. Absolutely. You're just trying to be right. Realistic with what, right. what the expectations I'm just giving are. You, when I put those numbers, that's what we've done historically over the last 25 years in there, you know, in those units, I'll put 170 to 190 is what most people kill in those in, over 25 years. But, you know, when, when it's good and we know of big bucks and there's years where, you know, gosh, that year, you know, you know, last year we had hunts where we were 15 inches higher than our normal average. You Why know, was in it so much year. better? Pardon me? Why was it so much better last year? I honestly, it was, um, I mean, we, we caught a lot of breaks, you know, normally if we know of about 11, 12, 13 big bucks, we'll be, you know, we're hoping we can get in there and kill three of them, you know, or four of them, you know, it, that, that would be incredible success. I'm talking on the real high end stuff. And last year it felt like we killed every big buck we knew about it. Just, it just, we had so many breaks. We had bucks that we missed and lost and, you know, and then didn't see for three weeks. And then we decided to go back in there and then with another hunter and, and he was back in there and we killed him. You know, the guides worked so hard last year. All of my guides um, put in so much time scouting last year. So we had more opportunities, I guess, more bucks to go after. Um, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I, we went into it terrified last year. We were because the year before last was the best year we'd ever had, uh, you know, on paper. So we went into last year and it was almost like we all needed a pep talk among them. Like, oh, we're just going to try the hardest we can. We're going to put in the most amount of time and we're going to just work as hard as we can. And no one's going to be upset about that, you know, and, and there's no way we're going to do what we did last year was the mindset, but we're going to try, you know, we're going to put in extra time. So we all put in more time scouting. And then, and then uh, I would say a week before the season started, it was probably the worst season ever of scouting that we'd ever had. Like we just didn't have any big bucks with a week to go before, you know, like in August, you know, and, uh, and then with about a week before the archery hunt started, uh, see Jeff came, Jeff was over there and then Jeff got the ball roll and he went out one night and saw two big bucks somewhere. And then the next day I went somewhere else and found a really big buck. And then the next day Matt found a really big buck. And then the next day Sergio found a really big buck. And all of a sudden we went from having nothing to hunt. I mean, I was terrified if you did, I couldn't even sleep four days before the archery hunt was going to start. And then all of a sudden we had a surplus of big bucks to hunt and it just happened like that, you know, 
And I just, I, I attribute to those guys putting in all that time. Cause if they'd only put in say five or seven days of scouting, we wouldn't have been hunting those bucks, but because they put in 15 and 18 and 20 and 25 days of scouting, eventually they found some big bucks. And that's what I think happened last year. And we just, and then once we found them, every single break that could go our way, went our way. It seemed like there, there were just some stories that it would take forever to even explain to you, but to, to tell, but there were some stories you wouldn't even believe about how lucky we got on some of these, you know, on one or two of the bucks. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we, we got really unlucky not to kill them weeks earlier, you know, deflections and arrow deflection, that kind of stuff. But then all of a sudden the day we killed them should have never happened that day, but it did, you know? Sure. Do you think the, Best years of New Mex or of Nevada mule deer hunting are are right here right now. I mean, in other words, is it as good as it, it as it's been right now? I would say, you know, right. I would say last year was. Sorry about that. Someone just came to the door. <laughs> I was getting the, you there. Yep. I, I would say I don't know that it's the best it's ever been right now. I mean, it, I would say the biggest bucks are getting killed right now, Jay, than in the past. But I think a lot of that is due to, you know, uh, the evolution of hunting more than anything. You know, the, I would say if we went back 15 years ago, I think the bucks, 20 years ago, the bucks were even bigger. We just didn't know, people didn't know what they were doing back then. Does that make sense? The equipment and such has allowed people to be yeah, better at it, what they're doing and better optics. And just knowledge. And like just, yeah. just hunters are better today. You know, if, if you remember 20 years ago, did you ever, I, I know, I know like in the, I would say, when I started hunting in Nevada, the way I hunted it and guided it was we would go over there and start scouting three days before the hunt, you know, in October. And it never even occurred to me to go over there in the summer and find a buck first, and you know, right. and, and then go back and hunt him in October. And then, you know, I learned it from Paul Stewart, you know, that type of stuff, you know, where he would talk about how we'd find a buck in the summer and then go back and kill him in October in the same place. And then, you know, everybody once that started happening and it opened up how much more time scouting we're doing and i don't mean me just across the board people just started doing more scouting and and putting in more time and it's just a lot people are a lot more serious about it now than they were back then you know back then nobody really scouted you know they, they went up there before the hunt and scouted three or four days and you know now we have you know if i do a hunt in 24 i mean i think this year by the time the rifle hunt started i had probably I bet I had 40 days in there by the time that rifle hunt started in, you know? And so in 25 years ago, I would have had four or five, right. you know, just because the way we did it and it's just different. So I think, I don't think the quality is any better. I just think people know what they're doing more now. Well, it sounds like Nevada's done a good job of keeping the tag numbers down and you know, it, it, I know it ebbs and flows a little bit, but it seems like, you know, historically for the last 30 years, the, the buck hunting, the mule deer um, hunting has been very, very good and it's stayed very, very good. So that's good to hear. Um, so if people want to get a hold of you, um, Greg, for Arizona elk or for the um, outfitter pool for the mule deer draw, um, what's the best way for people to reach out to you and get information, uh, whether it be for Arizona or for Nevada? there's two uh, they can either email me and you want me to just give the email or do you want to put it up or how do you do that yeah so give me the email and i'll also link it up in the show yeah notes. the email is g k r o g h and then the number one at icloud.com so g krogue one at icloud.com or you can do it on instagram which is probably easier for everybody you just just search my name greg krogue 
and direct message me on that and tell me what you're looking for and I'll get back to you right away. Awesome, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on with us today and sharing about uh, Arizona and Nevada. And um, if you end up going back down to Mexico, good luck down there. And it's always great chatting and uh, keep up the good work. It's always fun seeing the success that you, you and your guides have. And kudos to you and your guides for the work that you guys put in and the great animals year after year. I mean, you've been doing this a very long time and you still have the passion. You can hear it in your voice. And um, it's just a testament to... Uh, you know, your passion for what you do and congratulations on being able to still be fired up about it after all these years. Hey, thank you. And thanks for having me on the podcast. Enjoy it. Take care. God bless. Take care.